Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Today we're going to bring you another exclusive interview, the latest in our Thinking Forward series. During the current crisis, we're talking with various leaders from across motorsport to hear how they're reacting to the unprecedented disruption and the challenges it brings. In this episode, Motorsport Network President James Allen and Autosport Magazine Deputy Editor Marcus Simmons spoke with Motorsport UK Chairman David Richards. So, David, thank you so much for, for joining us and making the time. Great to see you. We're, we're asking all of our guests on this hashtag Thinking Forward series to, to tell us where they are and how they're coping with, uh, with this new way of remote working. So what's your story? About five weeks ago, uh, we came down for a, a quiet weekend down in Cornwall. Got a couple of hotels down here and I thought it's about time I went and saw all the staff down here and had a chat with them because of you know, with the scenario that was quietly unfolding at the time. And of course, when we got here, it all sort of just accelerated. And uh, so we ended up staying here. So I've been here for five weeks now. And I have to say, it's not a bad place to be to be stuck in. The, and especially the weather we've had down here of late. It's been lovely and sunny. So I've been able to get out and about and get up for walks. But it's um, it's surprising how... I've experienced the sort of video conferencing and the uh, different way of working. Uh, and I think as a result, I've become probably more efficient in many respects. And uh, it's, it's nice to have that physical contact with people and, and be able to talk through things with people in, the, in an office or in a workshop or with a racing team. But um, it's, um, I think we're going to come out of this having learned a few lessons. That, you know, some of them will be positive, others will be sort of frustrating but uh, uh, overall I think it's uh, it's been a an experience that I, I've learned a lot from yeah I think I think a lot of us would would say that certainly from a productivity point of view it's it's great um 
Just looking into activities recently, obviously your million pound Motorsport UK fund that you announced last week to support uh, organising clubs, obviously a, a fantastic development. Why did you decide to introduce this now and on what basis do you intend to allocate the money to the clubs that apply? Well, the, the role that Motorsport UK fulfills, historically, uh, we've been a, a regulator of the sport. We very, very much... Um, I would say, you know, a passive partner of uh, of the clubs and the license holders and been an excellent regulator of the sport and, and done a very good job of it. But our new direction now and the direction that Hugh's taking the business is to promote the sport and develop the sport and particularly focused around grassroots motorsport because that's where it all starts from at the end of the day. It's all very well, you know, having great Formula One races in the country, international motorsport and having all the professional side, which is extraordinary uh, for the UK and, and, and does us wonderful credit. But, but if we don't get the grassroots right, uh, we won't have people following through in the future. And so we were very concerned um, that uh, a lot of the grassroots motor clubs might be affected by this situation. They might have events that they'd incurred costs for. They might have ongoing expenses that uh, they didn't have the budget for. And at a time when motorsport generally is going to be under pressure, we, we wanted them to reassure them that was there were funds available should they require them. And I think the truth of the matter is there won't be that many clubs that will have to call on this. But it was important that we sent the right message out to them that we are there to support them at times like this and you know the professional side of the sport the top end of the sport has got governance support government's uh, help and uh, and the industry association no doubt fighting their corner in terms of uh, uh, of accessing funds for, for for the smaller businesses in motorsport but the clubs themselves that we're the only ones there to help them and, and that was our duty you did mention the, the government support and the industry association yeah, obviously beyond the clubs eligible for that million pound fund, are there concerns that the motorsport industry in general may also need a safety net, particularly the, the small cottage industry suppliers or or would you rely uh, or would they go more towards the government support and the, um, and the MIA perhaps? The MIA says it for itself, doesn't it? Motorsport Industry Association. So I think they are the, the appropriate body to canvas for and and look for support for those within the industry um it's going to be extremely difficult and there's no denying it but you know motorsport is not alone in that uh, that side of it uh, the larger companies will be able to sort of have the right resources to call upon the uh, access direct to government funds the smaller companies will um, have to seek support in whether it's the MIA or whether it's local um, uh, MP can assist them in directing them to the right places to, to help them through this period. But um, everybody's going to be affected uh, to a greater or lesser extent, and that's for sure. But I still come back to our priority or our, our focus is on our, our members and particularly our clubs. David, even before the coronavirus crisis, the world was moving quickly towards demanding a, a greater sense of purpose from the sports, especially in areas like sustainability and accessibility. And in fact, you spoke on this um, up at the um, with Lord Hain up at the uh, Motorsport Leaders Business Forum and Autosport International this year. Do you think it's inevitable that these these trends, particularly, will, will now be accelerated even more? We're going to come out of this period where we've all had plenty of time to think about 
um, whole range of issues. And, uh, you know, and I think we're going to come out of this period looking at life very differently. And that's not just in a sort of motorsport terms. I think we'll look at our relationships with our families, with our broader community. And um, I think for the positive, that's the first thing I would say. I think we're going to come out of this in a more positive way. Um, and I think motorsport, I've been a great believer that motorsport has been uh, drifting away from relevance, if you like, over the last few years. And I would really like to think we can find ways of making motorsport far more relevant to the communities we live in, society generally, and the motor industry. And I hope that this period of reflection and the um, economic pressures that will come about will actually drive that a lot faster. Looking at the national motorsport scene, how confident are you that the flagship events, the flagship championships that we have, BTCC and Toka on one side, British GT and British F3 on another, will be able to complete a representative calendar in 2020? Um, for example, Alan Gow has told us that the BTCC very much depends on when ITV has available slots for its live TV coverage. The latter part of this year is going to be a very big challenge for us. Um, how we bring everything together and how we uh, build a calendar and the uh, and the track time available from the various circuits that make that possible. I was talking only this morning with uh, Stefan Rattel, who's a British GT, and how he's going to bring his events together. I haven't spoken to Alan recently. I think that as we sit here today, um, and we have another three weeks of lockdown, um, planning various scenarios you can sort of go around in circles and you just tear your hair out eventually. So I've, I've tended to sort of say, well, look, let's wait for the next period when we've got a, a bit more clarity before we, um, before we make any decisions. And obviously events have got a couple of months of planning ahead of them. So I'm hopeful that when we get to um, May the 8th and the end of this next lockdown period, we'll have a bit of clarity around sport and about general gatherings of people and, and how we can make at the latter part of the year work for all the different series not just the sort of the btcc and british gt but also national and club racing as well because they they're all looking to get back into uh, uh into into their own activities as quickly as they can and um and i'm sure we can find a way of accommodating them of course, there's also the international dimension to this as well, isn't there, David? I mean, obviously, you've got the, the British Grand Prix, which looks like it, you know, it could be postponed. But equally, it could, Silverstone could actually be a hub for getting Formula One going again with, with so many teams being based close to there. Obviously, the WEC race at Silverstone we know is, is cancelled, but you know, GT World Challenge events at Brands and Silverstone. So how are you working with, um, with the circuits and the clubs to make sure that the national motorsports series are fairly represented when it when when all the international events are sort of piled back in as well that that is going to be a bit of a dilemma and it's not going to be easy to resolve um there are commercial um imperatives that come into this as well the 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 circuits have to be commercially viable and they've lost all the income for the last few months or the current period and so the only way they're going to uh, make themselves viable is by accommodating the larger events and uh, and uh, the one uh, uh, the big gate money or, or television funds. So uh, I think we have to accept that the lesser events are going to have to stand by and, and let this happen. But um, I'm sure the the BRDC at Silverstone and uh, and MSV with Jonathan will be as accommodating as they can, and we will sort of help and encourage as best we can by perhaps extending seasons, whatever 
possible we can do to 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 make that happen but i think in the looking at what's happening at the international level uh, hugh our ceo hugh chambers has been in touch with the sports other sports governing bodies they're looking for direction from the government as to how to bring sport back and how is the most appropriate way to reintroduce sport and the possibility that some events might have to be behind closed doors, so we might uh, have the strange experience of a, a British Grand Prix at Silverstone without spectators. But if that's how it's got to be, and we get the television coverage worldwide, then that's the uh, that's how it'll have to turn out. And I guess your your interest in that is just to make sure we have as much fairness as possible in that rescheduling, right? Yeah, well, you know, the, uh, as I come back to, I don't think that's our, our role, quite frankly. Our role is to facilitate the motorsport in this country as best we can. The commercial entities, uh, the circuit owners, are the ones who have to determine the priorities of that. And, uh, you know, I sympathise totally with the, the club events and the other smaller events that will naturally lose out out of this system. But I think they'd be the first to acknowledge that without viable circuits in this country they won't have places to race next year and we have to make those circuits commercially viable you did mention um the uh, possibility of extending the season and that would be in line with what we're seeing in other series around the world at the moment can you see the uk racing season going beyond its normal october main season cutoff uh, into november or, or even december i mean I'm, unfortunately we don't have weather like they have in Abu Dhabi, but um but is that something, and, and also uh, obviously the uh, the amount of daylight hours, but do you think that's something that can be done and go right through to, to Christmas? Well, I come back to the, the point I was making earlier. As the governing body, we will be as accommodating as we possibly can. We will find ways of, uh, of running events safely and correctly and with the right sort of, uh, support from officials and, uh, and safety crews as possible. Um, but uh, as you rightly point out, our weather in the latter part of the year isn't quite the same as Abu Dhabi or, uh, or other more, uh, more uh, sunnier climbs. <laughs> Sometimes it's not very nice in July or August either. <laughs> yeah, that can be. It might even be better in October. Who knows? Let's uh, <laughs> let's keep our fingers crossed for for a pleasant autumn that we can extend the racing program into. And of course, yeah, let's not forget the other events that take place around that time. Yeah, there's rallying going on. There's uh, hill climbs. There's sprints. There's other events that that can go into that period of time quite easily. Mm. Organisers and clubs will, you know, we know they'll obviously try to shoehorn as much activity as they can into the rest of the year once the go-ahead is given to begin competition. Um, but are you worried there may be a bottleneck on um, officials and marshals? So potentially some events may not be able to take place because there's not enough people to ensure that they're, um, they're run or, or that they're safe? Well, that's, um, you know what, I'm more concerned about the uh, the medical crews and the uh, the people who've been on the front line currently in the coronavirus situation they have been working 24 7 for months on end under enormous stress and pressures and it's they who we rely upon to run safe events as well so um, I'm sure uh, officials who've been sort of having a, a relatively quiet time at home will look forward to the opportunity of coming out and sort of officiating on various events around the country. But the medical crews, we've got to pay particular attention to and uh, uh, looking at what they've been through in the recent past, I would, um, uh, that's where I think we've got to be very conscious of, uh, of our demands on there. And to that end, we've actually been talking, uh, Hugh's been having discussions with 
other sporting bodies because a lot of the sporting bodies employ uh, full-time medical crew within their own organization that are sort of um, that are not part of the frontline force of the NHS and we're looking to see if perhaps some of those people might be available perhaps for a British Grand Prix to be able to help out there so we don't place any pressure on those that have, uh, have had such a tough time over the last few months. David, we've been hearing on this hashtag Thinking Forward series from FIA President Jean Todd about his proposed new deal for motorsport, recognising that the world has changed and being smart about how we go forward from here on, on costs and also how we present the purpose of motorsport. And, the, and that thinking obviously was also endorsed by Alejandro Agag uh, of Formula E when we spoke to him for this series. Do you think that steps must be taken to lower the costs, especially in the career-focused levels of, of the sport? I think there are two different aspects to this that you're looking at. Um, you're uh, talking about the purpose of motorsport, and let's come back to that in a minute. But you also talk about the cost of motorsport. Um, there is no getting away from the fact that the cost of motorsport is determined by the value and determined by the marketplace in which we exist in. And I've, I've always uh, thought that if you turned around to Formula One teams, and you gave them the uh, the rules for uh, Formula Three cars, and said, "There you go, you're racing Formula Three cars next year." I don't think their costs would go down dramatically because their costs are determined, or the the amount of money they spend is determined by the value that is placed upon that activity. And you know, Mercedes decide it is worth X amount of money to go racing and to win Formula One World Championships. Other teams. Have sponsors who have a similar, a, a different perspective on it. And that's how costs escalate. Now, you can write regulations and you control costs as much as you like, but all you do is move the cost around. And um, in lower categories, it's slightly different because it's sort of, you can control them. But that's why one make championships have proliferated over the last few years, because that's the way to control things. Um, and I think we, we've got to carefully look at this. And, you know, the Formula One teams have, uh, are now looking at the cost cap as a way of, uh, of managing regulations, if you like. Um, I personally think that's a that's just getting away from the very point of it. You know, they sort of if regulations are well controlled, you you will not have an escalation, but you you'll just pay the money to the drivers because to win something is worth X, and you'll place the money wherever you see the opportunity to to spend it. And um, but when you look at the relevance of motorsport, that's where I think um, we have to look at more carefully. Um, motorsport historically over the last hundred years has led the way in so many different areas. It's led the way in developing new technologies for car manufacturers. It's acted as a, a wonderful marketing platform for car manufacturers. It's had a lot of relevance to the sort of an interest from young people, if you like, from the sort of uh, from the. Uh, a whole raft of different uh, aspects and we've drifted away from that in the last decade perhaps the last 20 years uh, at the senior level of the sport we've become entertainment and the focus has become around entertainment and less so about driving forward with technology advances now there are exceptions to this and formula e is a great example of that um, but we've got to find ways of making ourselves more relevant. We've got to make ourselves more relevant technically so that car manufacturers see a rationale for being uh, part of motorsport and supporting motorsport. 
Formula E is a, another good example of the number of car manufacturers there as opposed to other categories of motorsport. We've got to make ourselves uh, more relevant to young people. We've got to sort of look at how we can engage with uh, with the universities and the schools to make the sort of, uh, make mathematics and science subjects come alive through the means of motorsport. Not too difficult and something we're actively pursuing at Motorsport UK. Um, and we've got to make ourselves relevant in society's terms. You know, if we are viewed just as a group of people who like to go round and round in circles, burning rubber and fossil fuels, we will be ostracized. We have to make ourselves far more appropriate to the times and far more relevant to the countries and the, and the society we live in. And that's uh, one of the challenges we face as a, as a governing body to try and help and instigate and facilitate that at the moment. So that's one of our the, the real challenge we're going to come back with after this period. How do you work with other national governing bodies and the FIA towards um you know, ensuring the, the continuity ac across all of this. I mean, is this a, this is a multilateral approach. This isn't just a UK approach, is it? No, it's, um, you know, we obviously have close contact with Jean, um, Peter Baer, the Secretary General of the FIA, and uh, Hugh's regularly in contact with the ASN task force, uh, which he's one of the sort of members of. So we have regular contact with everybody. But, um, we have a responsibility in this country. We have been for many years the uh, the leading light in motorsport worldwide. We've got a thriving industry. We've got thriving participant participation. We've got uh, and we've got a responsibility that comes with that as well. So our duty is to sort of uh, take a lead. And I think uh, uh, some of the things we've been doing recently have shown that we're prepared to do that as well. And uh, so over the coming months the next 12 months the next couple of years you can expect to see more policies coming out of motorsport uk more initiatives coming out of uk which i hope will be taken up by the fim and other asns around the world so you're um, you're saying that obviously the uk then really should take a leadership position on this very much so. We always have done. UK has been a, uh, very strong in, you know, you go anywhere in the world and you say, where is the leading motorsport country anywhere in the world? And you go for all four corners of the earth and they will say, it's the UK. Britain leads the way in this. And if we lead the way commercially and we lead the way because of our competitors and drivers, we also have to lead the way with the new initiatives. And we have to demonstrate that with uh, future thinking as well. The grassroots of the sport, that's clearly a big focus for you and the team at Motorsport UK. Um, so are, are you worried about a potential decline in participation in grassroots motorsport because of the economic hit from this pandemic? Because in incomes have been dramatically squeezed and sponsors could cut back on their funding. At the grassroots level, sponsorship and commercial support is not the, uh, the issue. It's, um, it, it's having viable clubs that can organise events and organize events for really basic participation. You know, they sort of, the, the club events where you drive to the event, you'd take part in your, your road car that you commute in, you'd do an auto solo one day, you'd do a, a, a car trial another day, you'd do a 12 car rally another occasion. Those are the sort of activities that we've got to be encouraging. We've got to be encouraging younger people to, to get involved at that level. And, um, it, it, grassroots is going to be a big focus of ours in the, in the coming year for sure. So would you say that uh, you're going to shape a, a quote-unquote new deal for grassroots motorsport as well? 
Well, I wouldn't say a new deal as such. Um, I, I just think we've got to try and find ways of encouraging that and, and encouraging participation at that level. If you look at the age profile of the people organizing these events at clubs, um, you look at the age profile that's participating, it's, um, it, we've got to attract a younger audience to them. We've got to show them that this is still great fun. And uh, I know you're great protagonists of esports, but you know, if we have everybody disappearing and working on computers and not actually participating themselves, we, you know, that to me would be a great loss and not where I'm sure I, I grew up in the sport and, and so many others did as well. This is an opportunity for reflection on ev for everybody, those that are uh, organizers, those that are participants, those that are professionals within the sport. And it's beholden on us all not to just sit still and come back after this terrible period and say it's business as usual. We have to think slightly different. The world will be a different place when we come out to this. And, you know, I don't want to sound over dramatic, but we've got to be part of that process and we've got to think laterally. We have to um, think that how can we become part of this new world and relevant to this new world? Because so many things will be dismissed as no longer relevant as people come out of this period of, of thought and uh, isolation. And, um, uh, and we need to make sure that we have our position in that and we are totally totally relevant to the future it's interesting because one of the one of the things that's coming through is very a lot of people are saying they don't they don't really want life to return to normal as it was after this because they really appreciate the peace and quiet the, hearing the birds singing the fact that the air is clear in the cities and all the rest of it but what comes through loud and clear as well and this obviously particularly led by the nhs i think is that sense of community that that is really very clear at the moment although we're all divided and we're separate and we're in our own quarters we are at the same time, we, we feel a very strong sense of community at the moment. And maybe that's one of the key things for motorsport. That it always has been and always has had a tremendously strong sense of community. One of the great things we enjoy in motorsport terms is this enormous body of volunteers who, uh, who make the sport work. And um, that... That has been, it always, I always enjoy the British Grand Prix to walk around the, the campsite with all the marshals there and chat to everybody because it's such a, uh, it, it's such a great community spirit and, and that pervades everything in motorsport, whether it's uh, rallying, talking to marshals in the forests or the organisers and people. And so we've always enjoyed that and uh, we've got to make sure we emphasise that and, and build on that for, for the future of motorsport in this country. David, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to join us on this hashtag Thinking Forward series and um, stay well. All the very best to Karen and, and we'll see you, see you shortly. Do. Thank you very much, Jane. Thank you both. All right, cheerio. Well, I hope you enjoyed the latest interview in our Thinking Forward series on the Autosport podcast. Tell us what you think of these conversations and send us your reaction on our social channels using the handle at Autosport. And if you haven't already done so, do go back and download our conversations with FIA President John Todd and Formula E Chairman Alejandro Agag. Coming soon on the Autosport podcast, we've got a special episode with Le Mans winner and Porsche factory driver Nick Tandy. Plus, we'll hear from the team at Sky Sports F1. Thanks again for listening and thanks to our producer Martin Lee for editing this episode. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.